Well, hello, everybody. This is Gardening with Anthony, and I'm Anthony, your host. And thank you for joining me again. So, you know, last month I gave you a checklist. You know, I, I, I think I'm getting into these checklists. I'm finding that at work, I seem to get a lot done when I have a checklist and I kind of go through it. I can get everything done. Whereas oftentimes if I don't, I'll flounder and I'll forget things and all sorts of stuff. So I decided that at least for November, we're going to have one more checklist. So y'all, if you would hit pause and go grab yourself a pencil and a piece of paper and let's get ready for November and let's get ready for the winter. All right, here's the way you get to hit pause. And now that we're back, here we go. We've got a lot to do. Last month, we talked about uh, some things, and you might hear me repeat some things as well, because not everything, in other words, uh, for instance, perennials, not all perennials last month needed cut back. Some of them need cut back this month. So with all of that said, let's kind of go through all of this. And let's start at the front of your home, and let's kind of work our way back. Let's start with curb appeal, um, because... Now is the time that um, you're going to want to start getting the rest, the final rest of your perennials cut back. So we're talking about all the things that kind of hang out for a long time. If you really like the architectural nature of it, then by all means, leave them. Things like echinacea and rutabecchias um, or coneflowers and black-eyed Susan, those, there are people who like to see those still hanging out. Um, but for those of you who don't, um, then this is an ideal time to go ahead and get those bad boys cut back. Let's go through the garden and do a final weeding of the garden because, you know, if we go into the yard or into our spring rather, and we've got a nice tight garden, then it's kind of my philosophy that what we go in with is what we're going to come out of. So we want to do a final weeding Remember, there's no reason to fertilize anything. I, you know, if, if, if people, I've actually heard a lot of folks, particularly in my neck of the woods here in uh, New Jersey, talk about fertilizing in fall. And weirdly up here, that's done quite a bit. Um, yet for the life of me, I honestly can't explain it. I actually called one of my colleagues to say, Hey, have I lost my mind? Have I gone crazy? And, he just looked at me and says, why would anybody fertilize? If you guys wonder why we don't fertilize at this time of year, let me paint you a picture. How about you send me your children and I'm going to babysit them. And you're going to pick them up at about, let's say midnight, because you're going out and having a nice dinner with your, with your spouse or your partner. And along about 11 PM, I'm going to give them some espresso and some chocolate. <laughs> Did I just paint a picture for you guys or what? Yes, espresso and chocolate. So here's the deal. When we go to bed at night, our metabolism slows down. We don't really consume a lot of calories. Well, in the winter time, or in fall rather, the metabolism of plants begins to slow down and they don't use as much nutrients. So with that said, first of all, it's a waste. There's also certain plants, though, that you feed them and they're going to, of course, naturally push out growth. And then here we get a heavy, heavy, heavy frost. And there are some plants that will go belly up, believe it or not. So 
the best uh, course of action. We don't want to do any type of fertilizing. If you feel that your plant needs a little boost or a little bit of nutrients, I'm going to really recommend getting some biodynamic uh, uh, compost. Malibu, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a Malibu junkie. I love that stuff. It's great. So use some of that. But other than that, kind of call it a day. This is also the time that we want to get, uh, if you have not already, good Lord, go to your nurseries, specifically your local nurseries, buy bulbs, buy lots of bulbs. Now, I know there's a lot of you people that have real issues with deer. Um, there's a few people in my neck of the woods that we also have it. But believe me, Washington, we have nothing compared to you guys. If you have that situation, um, I'm going to really encourage you get really good with some of the deer sprays and ask your local nursery professional how to use them. I'm really going to recommend that you use that. You buy all three of them. There's one that, for instance, that contains blood meal, then some that contains coyote urine. And then there's still others that contain um, egg white and egg white has a foul smell to, to the deer. But you really do need all three of them because you want to switch them out about monthly. So, we really do want to plant. And if for those of you who have rodents that like to eat your bulbs, you know, that's a lot easier of a fix, although it's kind of more of a pain in the behind. But what you really want to do is take a chicken wire cage, put your bulbs in a chicken wire cage and drop them in the ground. That'll protect the bulbs from the little monsters trying to munch down on your uh, on your investment. So really, we want to um, do a lot of bulbs. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, daffodils, but a lot of people still love their tulips. Uh, I'm just not a huge tulip fan. Every year they seem to get smaller and smaller. Um, but in Washington, of course, you guys are totally the tulip state. So lots and lots and lots and lots of bulbs. Now, this is also um, the probably one of the best times, in my opinion, to start cutting back your hedges. This is such a great time. Now, I tend to be a bit, I try to, I don't think of myself as lazy. I think of myself as efficient. I like efficiency when it comes to my garden. So when I start going through and cutting back my hedges um, and giving them some shape again, I love doing that in the fall. And honestly, the reason why is because I've got the longest period of time that they look super sharp, super clean. Now, for those of you, um, in other words, those of us over here on the other side of the United States that are in for a really, really, really big winter, I got to tell you, um, this may very well be the year that you might want to tent some of your boxwoods, some of your hollies, um, not all of them, because not all of them are going to need it. But if you ever had a, a nice formal boxwood hedge and had a bunch of snow landing on top of it, you know that it can do quite a bit of damage. I like to take a frost cloth and create a gabled tent over my hedges. It's not difficult to do, believe it or not. It's really, really, really simple. And the fine people at places like Home Depot and whatnot can give you a hand with the connectors and whatnot. But I got to tell you, if you were to do that, then you're going to keep all that frost off of your hedges. You're going to keep them kind of covered up for the winter, but you're going to keep them very well protected. This is really, really prevalent. If you go even further up in the New England states, they have to do this every year. So I love cutting my hedges back at this time of year. And then of course, when we roll around into May, then we're going to go ahead and give them their first shot of 10, 10, 10 or fertilizer.
So this is also an opportunity to do a little bit of pruning on some of our trees too. Now, typically with your ornamentals at this time of year, I really, really prefer to cut back. Uh, I take off things that are rubbing. So crossing branches that are rubbing against each other. I take a look at the both of them, decide which one is the most valuable. And then I lop off the other one. Remember that when you lop off a limb like that, you don't want to cut it off halfway through, but you want to take it and cut it off just above the collar. Don't go into the collar. And of course, the collar is that area uh, that it, uh, where it, the limb joins the main trunk. And you can see it kind of has a little, a little bit of a wrinkle or a fold to it. That's called the collar. Cut just above it. You'll be great. Now, there are some trees that we do not want to fool around with, though. The closer we get into winter the uh, cl and the closer we get into a freeze, the more we need to really, really, really step away from things like Japanese maples um, and fruit trees. Let me explain why. Japanese maples are specifically susceptible to a syndrome called Pseudomonas. Pseudomonas is created by a fresh cut and then it freezes. And what happens is that it freezes the literally the liquids inside because, of course, that fresh cut has not healed yet and has begun to freeze the inside. And that creates cellular damage that can eventually kill a tree. So we really want to kind of kind of judge that. And we need to keep an eye on like the uh, four, uh, the seven day forecast, because that will kind of give us a heads up as to, are we okay cutting things back? When it comes to fruit trees, fruit trees are going to be a, another one that I typically like to wait until February, March. And I say February, March, because that's usually when the weather starts kind of breaking a little bit. And then of course we really want to go in and start looking at where the buds are swelling and we want to cut above them and kind of begin shaping. Or if they're new plants, we need to begin giving them a shape. And if they're older plants, then we need to begin maintaining them so that we can still harvest all the fruit from them. So all of that, um, keep let's keep that in mind because we want to cut things back, but we want to cut things back wisely and doing in a way that is not just healthy and whatnot, but also respectful to the plant. This is also, this is a great time, mulch and compost. Does everybody know the difference between mulch and compost? Because interestingly, I think a lot of people believe that they're two different things. The fact is mulch and compost are basically the same thing. Mulch goes on top, compost you mix into the ground. So it's so easy to take and use a lot of these materials in both capacities. It's just how we use them is going to decide whether or not they are mulch versus compost. So, you know, for compost, you could think along the line of some of your freshly fallen leaves. Cedar compost is really, really, really popular. Hardwood compost is great. Now, if you ever have been to the South, like Atlanta, Louisiana, um, even some of the Carolinas, they use uh, baled pine needles. Not my favorite thing, but um, I suppose when in Rome, uh, the Bale pine needles. I, I, when I lived in Atlanta, I used those a few times. And I have to tell you, all it looked like to me is that I needed to get out there and rake my garden. There you go. There's also various varieties of bagged um, composts that use different components. So some of them still use dung. Dung, interestingly, I, I feel like 
Um, and, and, you know, you can write me in at askantony at outlook.com and give me your ideas on this, but I feel like dung products are kind of going the way of the dinosaur. You're not, you're seeing less and less of cow manure and things of that nature. Interestingly, uh, chicken manure seems to still be relatively prevalent, but dung tends to be slowly kind of disappearing. Um, vegetation that has been, uh, decomposing. That's number one. Now, a lot of you are going to probably need a lot of compost. And if you do, you're probably going to want to buy in bulk. I'm going to tell you, and I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, that I don't want you to pick up the phone and order it. I really do want you to go and take a look at their product. I want you to put your hand in the, and if you can identify anything that's in your hand, then it's not done yet. Everything needs to be 100% composted. Um, there's a lot of bacteria that are very, very harmful to humans that are all part of the uh, decomp process. So really make sure of what you get. And everybody, again, as I just stated, um, I'm a big Malibu fan. So biodynamic compost is amazing. It is some of the very, very, very best you can buy, largely because of the way it's uh, composted, usually in large heaps that are completely covered up. They heat the material up to, I believe it is 145 degrees or 65 degrees. I don't remember which, but it's one of those. But what makes it unique is that they cool it down precipitously once it hits that temperature. And you have beneficial bacteria and enzymes basically eating each other. And if you'll pardon the expression, they're kind of dunging um or pooing, uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So consequently, this is like one of the very best you can use. And you can use it as compost, but you can also use it as mulch. You can actually mulch underneath each of your uh, plants with that. And then throughout the winter, it literally just drips amazing organic uh, food into the roots. And it's a relatively passive feeding too. It doesn't necessarily inspire growth, but what it does do is it really, really feeds that, uh, the earth around it. This is also a time that if you did want to put any type of a fertilizer and you feel uh, feeling like things are really bad, this may be a time to go ahead and use your organics because keeping in mind, organic fertilizers do not directly fertilize plants. They break down, usually take about three or four weeks to completely break down into the soil, but they actually enrich the soil, which at that point, the roots of course are in and the roots can start tapping into some of that nutrient. So all of that said, um, another great mulch to, and mulch is going to be what we're going to put on top to keep things warm. Think about all of your fallen leaves, y'all. I want you to, I, I really want people to rake up their falling leaves utilize them. I'm a kind of notorious for, I'm a lasagna uh, mulcher. I put out a layer of leaves and I wet it down with water, put out another layer of leaves, wet that down, one more layer and wet that down. Now, what's really nice is that if you have ever put your hand in a compost pile, you probably realize that it gets quite warm under there. So what you're doing with these leaves is you're actually um, generating a little bit of warmth throughout the uh, winter for some of the roots. So it's really a great opportunity to use that. Plus, by the time we actually get to summer next year, all those wonderful leaves are turning into soil. So there's more beautiful, rich soil filled with organic matter and humus. And I mean, it's a win-win-win across, uh, across the board. So I don't want to see people 
raking up their leaves and then putting them on the on the on the uh, street to be picked up. Uh, we should use them, and maybe if you don't use them, perhaps a neighbor would like them. So all of those are are such a great great um, opportunity to add this beautiful beautiful um, organic matter back into the soil and do a whole lot of good while you're doing it. Now let's talk about your containers. So your containers, we can do so much. We've done quite a bit with them in regards to Halloween and for October. But if your mums and your pansies maybe starting to look a little bit bedraggled, maybe it's time for a bit of uh, fresh plantings. And right now we can start really playing around with hellebore. Now, y'all in the Pacific Northwest, you have got two of the greatest nurseries that love to carry hellebore. And that is My Garden Nursery as well as Garden Spot Nursery. They are really, really, really good. My gar- uh, or I'm sorry, Garden Spot Nursery is particularly great. Every year they have a lady come down and educate their employees on the differences between the different hellebores. But to make things really simple, let me tell you, there's an early, mid, and a late bloomer. So the early bloomers are just starting to open up their little flowers now. Typically, most of them are white, and their names are Jonah, Jacob, Joshua, and I forgot the other one, but it starts with a J as well. But what delineates the difference between these varieties is the different heights that they get. And then we move on to the next rung, uh, which tends to be some of your Corsican varieties or your Nigras. And they are going to typically start blooming, yeah, say about the end of November. And they're going to go probably into February-ish. And those are going to deliver us um, some stronger foliage. Some of the, uh, there's some really pretty flowers, but I tell you what, the last uh, lot is going to be the Orientalis. That's where we're going to get some of the most remarkable varieties that I really want you to take a picture of. Um, they are like the gold collection. Uh, Garden Spot is known for their collection of hellebore. So I really encourage you to head out there, give the nice people a call and uh, see if they've got their hellebores in and have them walk you through that. There are some really beautiful varieties. And if you play your cards right, you can have flowers literally from October all the way to May. Um, And you'll actually have some beautiful foliage and whatnot. So those are going to be certainly one of many things that we can plant. Cabbage and kale, there's some really, really Really cool. I've never been a big fan of cabbage and kale, but there's some really beautiful varieties out right now. Some of them that are almost jet black and uh, would remind you of an ostrich feather. Absolutely gorgeous. There's also whites. Um, of course, pansies are fantastic for wintertime. But in addition to doing those, it's fu- it's time for some really fresh ideas. Uh, I love to take all of these. I love to go and accumulate a bunch of evergreen boughs that have dropped from windstorms and whatnot and start collecting them. And what's cool to do is you take a five gallon bucket, fill it with water, sit on your back porch. And as you collect them, take just do a quick, fresh cut and drop them in there until you're ready to use them. Also large bows. Bows are fantastic and keep a strand of lights out for your pots. I think this is probably one of the coolest things. What I've done in the past is I've taken and I've puddled a bunch of lights on the surface of the soil 
And then I'll take fresh boughs and I'll put them in and around the flowers that I've got and the, uh, and whatnot that I've got in the, in the pot, spray the whole thing with spray glitter and then put a big, big weatherproof bow on it. It's really, really cool. And it looks really, really sharp. And the coolest of all that is that'll take you all the way through winter. Um, and that is huge because now you don't really have to fool with anything. You've got that winter look. Perhaps if uh, your bow says Merry Christmas at the end of the end of the holidays, you just put some kind of winter themed bow on there. And that would be pretty cool, too. Now, one of the really cool things about this time of year, um, because I know <laughs> I know a lot of you guys are a lot like me. I am a bargain shopper. I love bargains. This, friends, is a time to go and clean up on all these nurseries. I want you to start with Home Depot and Lowe's uh, because if you can find something still alive and still in good condition, you know what? They already sell for cheap, but they're now just trying to blow this stuff out of there. They have no way to overwinter it. Um, Piss like um, Home Depot and Lowe's and most of your local nurseries have no place to overwinter any of this stuff. But I want to start at Home Depot and Lowe's because typically, though not always, but typically, that's going to be a little bit uh, uh, less quality only because they don't really take that great a care of them. Um, and if there is somebody from Lowe's or Home Depot out there that takes good care of them, then I apologize. I don't mean to be ugly, but uh, I've also worked at Home Depot and I know what they've done, what they do. And uh, they're not a bad company, but they always they get great stuff in. So if you can find and kind of hit it where they've got some nice stuff in that's on what I call an oh my God sale, go in there and clean up. Start buying things because it's a great time of year to plant things and good time to find something that maybe you had been looking for and maybe it was like super, super expensive and oh, hey, look, it's there and it's 95% off. Yay, go you kind of thing. Um, so Home Depot and Lowe's are the first thing. Your local nurseries, obviously, is where you is where you theoretically are going to get much better quality. Uh, those are going to be the places that what you want to do is you want to go to the places that do not have growing greenhouses. Now, in other words, if they grow a lot of their own material or actually any of their own material, then kind of all bets are off because I work for a, a nursery that we grow a lot of our own material. We've got a lot of greenhouses that we weather things over. So consequently, at my nursery, McNaughton's, we don't necessarily have those oh my God sales. But what we do have is great, great quality that is going to perform for you as well. But you'll go to these local nurseries. Again, we're talking places like like uh, My Garden Nursery. We're talking about... Uh, garden spot nursery and any of your local nurseries that are handy and around start haunting them. They're going to be uh, trying to get rid of stuff really bad because they don't want to weather it over. And it's a good opportunity to snag on and get some really, really, really great savings. And then next spring it flushes right out. It'll be all pretty exciting. So remember places to avoid are is really any place that actually grows material because that's going to be when you're going to say, huh, 
Okay. So we seem to have a lot of that, uh, a lot of, they've got a lot growing on there. So we really do want to kind of go to the area where, where they're going to, they need to get rid of things. They don't have a place to put them for the winter time. So remember that, remember that. So we've got most everything um, in your yard kind of covered. Everything is battened down. The uh, Everything's looking nice and tight. You're ready to start receiving company because, of course, this is the time for that. But now we need to probably start looking indoors and start talking about our, our houseplants. By now, you should have all had your houseplants in um, at least by, for about a month by now. They should be starting to reacclimate. Remember that there are certain plants that are what is called photoactive. And what that means is that they respond to how much sun they're going to get. Now, when we have, when we have plants that are photoactive and photoreactive, we need to probably think about if you don't already, Grab yourself an inexpensive grow lights. Now, gone are the days that are the grow lights are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, those days are gone. Now we can get on to Amazon. God love Amazon. And we can actually purchase a, it's called a UFO LED light for about 30 bucks. And that will last you forever. It's not going to jack up your electric bill. Um, life is good in the Shire, as far as we can see. Now, there are also, when we have tropical plants, one thing I also want to remember is that, remember, tropical plants do not understand winter. I know that there are a lot of people um, who have said, oh, in the wintertime, I feed my tropical plants half. Well, I got to tell you, I I continue treating mine exactly like I do in the summertime. Every two weeks they get fed and they're all doing quite well. So remember, they don't necessarily understand that it's wintertime. So we want to continue giving them that very even level of care. Because one thing I, I like to make sure people understand is that feeding your plants is good. Feeding them consistently is when you're really going to start seeing a difference in your plants. Um, typically after about three or four months of consistent feeding, uh, you'll start looking at your plant and say, huh, you're really looking a little different now. Um, I really believe God created our iPhones and our smartphones to set off alarms that we can go off. Mine goes off every two weeks telling me to feed my plants because otherwise I'd never remember. So feeding plants pretty important. Um, one of the things I've really, really, really had to work with a lot of my customers out here on is remember that at this time of year, and this also goes for your containers outdoors, but um, specifically indoors, remember that we cannot put our house plants on a watering schedule. Right now, as it is nice and is cooling off and it's um, and for some of us, it's a little colder than others. They're not going through the water that they were going through during the summertime. So you don't have near the evaporation rate. So remember, before we water, we definitely want to lift the plant up and see if it needs to be watered. We need to really wait until things are dry before we before we go ahead. And, but then when we do water them, let's put them in the sink and water them super, super thoroughly. Um, but we have to remember 
Don't overwater them. This is typically the time when people start losing their houseplants to overwatering, to fungus, disease, and infestation because they either were not brought indoors correctly or, um, you know, there could be a million other reasons why. But we need to kind of stay on top of that, be very proactive. This is a good time also from now until about December that we really want to keep an eye on our plants. Um, we want to maybe when we've got like five minutes where we're waiting for something, maybe take a really close look at the underbelly of some of the leaves just to be certain that we don't see anything hinky going on, um, anything weird. Uh, you see a pl- you see an insect, then it's a good opportunity that we can nip it in the bud a lot, a lot quicker. Um, again, as I referred to earlier, Supplemental lighting may very well be required for you. Um, again, remember that the lighting does not have to jack up your bill. You can put it on a timer. I typically like to keep mine on for 11 to 12 hour days. Now, I will also caution you that uh, if you get an LED light, that that the quality of light might kind of play with your eyes. I personally can't have it um, around. I can't have it in my sight because it screws with my eyes. So um, I keep mine kind of covered up and it's actually in a closet. So um, I don't have to look at it. And by the time I go to bed, it's long turned off by then. One thing that I'm also going to go through, and this is going to be a little bit new uh, for y'all. And this will be in, kind of in closing today when, and this is going to be for a lot of the, my friends that, like to work with the spiritual nature of your garden. Um, this is an opportunity that I take at this time of year to thank the garden and the energy of the garden. Um, I refer to it as the egregoric energy because it's a collective energy. And I take an opportunity to, I thank it for its bountiful year. Um, that can take a lot of different directions. Sometimes it's as simple as just saying, wow, you have inspired me this year. You have filled me with creativity. You have grounded me. You have helped me figure out what to do in a certain situation, if that's the case. There's a lot of ways to verbally thank it. Um, I've done something, when I lived in Washington State, I did something every year that I never told anybody about. Um, I don't live there now, so I suppose I can now. Uh, I would spend a few days baking and I would um, bake a whole bunch of really, really good cakes and pies and cream puffs and, and tarts and torts and all. I mean, I, I literally created about 15 different baked goods, including fresh bread. And I would pack it up every year and I would go up to the mountains. And I would lay out uh, the leaves very carefully. And I would put this food out um, in a table setting on the ground. And I gave it my most profound and humble, humble thanks. And I left that for the nature spirits um, to be claimed by, of course, the woodland animals. That is one way that I've used several times and for several years to say thank you. For those of you who may be a little bit more ritualistically oriented, um, 
devise some kind of a fun ritual for yourself. And if you have children, perhaps uh, if you're interested, you know, get them involved in it. Um, and I think it's nice to instill in the young folks that we should be grateful for plants growing. We should be grateful for the opportunity to put our hands in the soil and to enjoy the act of gardening. So it, I think it's actually a really, really, really great way to kind of pass the baton to the next generation um, to say, you know what, we're human, but we are not the greatest thing on this earth. There are things far more uh, greater and far wiser than we are. And just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. So for those of you who are who are invested in that type of activity, I highly recommend doing some kind of of gratitude. I think that gardens and the garden spirits, I think they thrive on gratitude. And I think they are looking for ways to mirror that back to us on how they can give us gratitude back. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a mutual admiration society. And I personally want to see that um, go on and on and on and on. So you've been working with me now for quite some time. And I have really enjoyed and I enjoy every single time that we're together. But here on KPNW DB, I look forward to talking to you every single month about a what to do list or answering your questions. Remember that if you have questions, please feel free to give me a drop me a line at askantony at outlook.com. I would love to hear from you all. And I hope that your gardening in November is nothing short of magical and beautiful. Thank you and have a great day, guys.